Good morning, good evening, wherever you may be, and welcome to the Super Travel Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Mark, and this is episode number 16. Call this lucky number 16, because all my podcast episodes are lucky. Ever since that Lucky 13 podcast episode, I keep thinking about it. Every, uh, every number has got like a meaning if you look it up. And uh, 16 means it provides the power of love, selflessness, reliability, and nurturing. It indicates the desire for the home and family, makes you feel the emotions of others, increases the willpower to help others. It also shows independence and the power, the power to fight hurdles. Oh yeah, I like that one. And uh, so everyone listening, you have going to have good luck and prosperity forever and ever. If you're listening right now, all my 10 million followers and listeners, definitely uh, for sure. All right, and this episode... Oh, how about that last episode? No, with Dimitri, that was, that was riveting, the experiences he's had with the, the rhino charging, the ostrich. I don't know if he talked about the rhino charging. We kind of skipped over a little bit, but the ostrich and then, then that uh, mountain lion encounter where he saw the eyes and it was tracking them, following them as they were, as they were using the buddy system to back away and get back to uh, the trailhead where they were. Yeah, that was that was intense. Definitely a cool story. It reminds me, I got to uh, talk to my friend Larry and get that uh, Egypt experience he had with the guys chasing him with machetes. That was scary. When he told me this, I was just riveted and just it was. I was I was scared for him. I mean, there's some there's some stories out there. Most of the places though you travel to, like the touristy places, like Paris, Rome, London, you know, all the uh, Barcelona, like those places they're they're really safe i mean the the government has great security because they want the income from the tourists so it's set up really well it's just when you go outside those places where it gets gets sketchy but but also the danger increases but also the reward increases as well so it's kind of a trade-off too you get to see places and experience things that uh, you wouldn't normally do in tourist areas you get off the beaten path all right so that being said we're at episode 16 so I was trying to record one. Uh, uh, it's it's hard to make time. You just gotta make time, and you know the preparation. There's a lot of preparation. I'm always taking notes. I always want to over prepare because I'm kind of like a perfectionist. But I just gotta just start doing it and just start talking, and and things kind of just flow. One of the things I learned was uh, during uh, speeches and you know when you talk in front of people and stuff. It's you you want fifty percent preparation, fifty percent improvision. You know, so you prepare for fifty percent of your speech, and then the other fifty percent is you know like stories, and you kind of just talk as you go. It gets easier once you you practice a lot. I, I know when I first started standing up in front of people, I was so nervous, just like everyone. And then after, I, I probably stood up in front of people for hundreds of times for like a, you know at least a few minutes. And after I want to say thirty times, gets easier. 50 times super easy and then after that it's just you don't even think about it anymore i the only t- the only time i get nervous or is when i i uh, look at people no not even that it, the, the last time i got nervous i was in front of people talking i was like 
is my zipper down? Because I just, I just, I was in the bathroom a few minutes before, and I was like, I hope I zipped up my pants. That was, that's, how, that's what I get nervous. I don't get nervous, you know, being in front of people. You just kind of get used to it, especially if your your speech is well prepared. And then there's there's really nothing to get nervous. And it comes back to that uh, changing changing your emotional state in an instant. And it's worth a reminder. You know, every episode actually would be a good reminder. You have three ways to change your emotional state in an instant. Don't be a slave to to your emotions. There's discipline your emotions, discipline your mind, and discipline your body. So mental, physical, and emotional discipline. So how we discipline our or uh, how we change our emotions is you focus on three things. You focus by changing on changing your physiology. You focus on changing your focus, and you focus on changing the words you tell yourself. You do those, and you could change your emotional state in an instant. And that's uh, what helped me get over my fear of flying as well and repetition, just doing it over and over and over. So, yeah, that's a super, super uh, good uh, tool to use. I wish I would have known this when I was younger. I just I didn't realize it. I wish they would teach us this in school. It's incredible. Like most of the stuff they teach us, we don't even use. It's kind of nonsense. But the school system definitely needs to be revamped. So this episode, episode 16, the big lucky 16 is going to be on uh, hygiene when we travel as well as the country of Romania. And only a couple parts in Romania because I was only there for like four days to do a race. And I'm only going to talk about uh, Cluj-Napoca, the Transylvania region because Romanians broken up into a bunch of regions. So, uh, the Transylvania region up the northwest, Cluj-Napoca, Targomoras, and Sovata. So, th- that's what I'll be talking about. And the hygiene aspect, that is a little... Uh, <laughs> I hope you're not eating while you're listening to this. Sometimes I like to listen to a podcast while I'm eating. It's like when I'm by myself and I'm listening, it's like there's people around me and it's kind of... I don't know, it's kind of cool. And so... If you're eating, you might not want to eat when I'm talking about the hygiene part right now. So when I travel, there's a couple things I like to do. I like to bring sanitary wipes and wipe down the seat to disinfect it. Wipe down the tray and, you know, uh, handrails next to me and whatever I can that my body is going to be touching. So I like to do that. Another thing I like to do, another tip, I guess we call this like five tips of hygiene for traveling, something like that. If I could get to five, I'm sure I can. And then uh, that was the first tip. Number two, it, because they don't they don't clean this stuff, man. They're, I found hairs, just it's, it's gross, and there's dirt coming off those wipes when I'm wiping down. I mean, I think they clean it real fast, but there's no like really intense cleaning. It's just like at a movie theater, man. I've heard of people getting lice in their hair at movie theaters. I I even went to a point. Got to a point where I would bring giant trash bags and sit on them at movie theaters. I was just so grossed out with the movie theater seats, especially after I read that that one uh, lice in the hair from the seats. You just see bugs crawling on this. It's so gross. So wipe down, disinfect everything. Tip number two, breathe out of your nose as much as you can. That's important too. Uh, our nose filters up to half of all the you know bad stuff in the air so try not to breathe out of your mouth that's that's a good one and that's that's tip number three too i know that sounds 
kind of basic or you know not the greatest but i mean every little bit helps it's the marginal gains marginal gains i learned that concept in cycling it's like all these little little things you could do to your bike to increase your you know your decrease your time uh, make yourself faster increase your speed increase your watt your power output just by uh changing every like such a small thing by i don't know having lighter shoes having lighter pedals having different wheels having just every, there's a million things not a million but you know a lot of things you could do and so i learned all these things and all these little things add up to a big thing so that's a huge concept i learned from cycling and i bring into my everyday life which is amazing with sports i mean there's so much wonderful thing wonderful thing so many wonderful things that i've learned from sports that i i take into life one of the biggest things is it makes me strong it makes me tough especially mentally tough and it's it's like uh it mentally i i get up when i don't and work out when i don't want to but i make myself i mean you do it every day every day you work out even though you don't feel like it i mean tonight i just got off the bike i didn't feel like getting on the bike i was it was 7.45 p.m. when I got on the bike. Right now, it's about 10.45 p.m. Yep, I'm a little bit of a night owl. <laughs> I, try, I try to change it, but I my body just goes a little bit back, you know, closer, closer to being a night owl. Every time I try to change it, it's just, I, I head right back because I'm, like, my, my mind is working good. I'm I'm awake. I feel good. I'm, you know, um, so what was I saying? Oh, yeah, uh, mental, uh, physical toughness so sports doing something every day that you don't like to do you just make yourself do it even so even if i'm sick i'm still gonna work out or exercise it's just gonna be not to a a bigger extent it's gonna be to a lesser extent like if i can't run i'll i'll jog i mean if i can't run fast i'll run slower i'll run really slow you know, call it like a recovery. If I can't run at all, I really feel bad, which is rare. Even when I'm really sick, I could still jog. I'll, I'll walk. And then the bike, the bike's even easier because uh, it's non-weight bearing. Uh, I uh, took uh, went to school for uh, kinesiology, which is exercise science. And uh, yeah, we learned that the bike, the muscle or the bone density of cyclists is really poor. I want to say like 50 year olds or 40 year olds had like the bone density of like uh you know elderly it's it was really really not good because of the uh non uh weight bearing exercise same with swimming too the swimming's even even uh worse so you want to do stuff to strengthen your bones especially as we age is super super important weights weights are very important and uh load bearing exercises like hiking intense hiking uh walking barely counts as exercise in my opinion you want to get your heart rate up unless you're older or really overweight okay I I can see the exception there but generally for most people you need to like do some sprints I mean they could be that that short sprints to get your heart rate up increase your vo2 max because vo2 max uh, your body's ability to utilize uh, oxygen more effect uh, effectively that's that number Uh, um, that's what it means so the higher it is, the less chance you have of dying. I just saw a study on this. I got. I'll pull up the article next time, and and go over it more in depth. But I'm I'm a little tired. I'm more prepared for the, for the hygiene and the 
and the Romania. I don't want to get off on a tangent here. This episode is going to be five hours. All right, so (laughs) I don't even remember what I was saying. Do you guys remember what I was saying? I, I don't. I was just talking about exercise. All right, so let's just get back on track. Okay, hygiene. Hygiene and flying. So number one, wipe down the seats before I sit down. Number two, breathe through your nose. Number three, keep your fingers out of your damn mouth, especially because we're touching things. I was sitting on a bus in Argentina going down to Bariloche. I think it was from Mendoza to Bariloche. And that there was a guy next to me biting his nails, spitting them everywhere. I was so grossed out. And then the other guy next to me, to left me, I think he crapped his pants. He smelled like poop. It was, oh, it was the worst bus ride. Twenty four hours. I mean, I I almost crapped my pants too. It was, it was that long. Uh, <laughs> it was the worst. It's like it was a bad dream. It's so hard to sleep on a bus that long. I think next time, because I was a little nervous of flying. This was I don't know four or five years ago. And, and so I just took the bus. Next time, I'm just going to fly and, and just, you know. I mean, now I'm not as afraid anymore. But keep your fingers out of your mouth, out of your, your nose, out of your eyes. I mean, don't touch your eyes. I, I guess you could put them in your ear if you want to clean out your ear. But uh, I still, I just keep my, my hands away from your face. That's, that's what I would do. And wash your hands. Um, that's, that's your tip number three is... Keep your hands away from your face. I know it sounds basic, but most people, uh, I've seen too many people not, uh, too many people that, that don't, don't, don't do that. And just be, number four, I don't know, what would number four be? Just be conscious and be aware of, uh, of hygiene. So number four would be to be careful with what you eat and what you drink. That could be number four right there. So you don't want to eat generally. You don't want to eat at those little food stands outside that are in a third world country like India. I was at. I was. I saw some of those food stands. Those flies surrounding all that food. It was, and they were sitting there in the sweltering heat. That's a good way to get deli belly, <laughs> or uh, giardia, or dysentery, or or anything like that. So I made sure to stay away from that. And that goes with the drinking water as well. A lot of countries drink bottled water. Drink bottled water in a lot of countries, especially third world countries, like I said. Uh, One trick, I I may have mentioned this before. If you're at a hotel, go to the gym. You might be able to get, uh, generally, most places have free water, free bottled water some, you know, at at times too. So, and also too, if, if the gym isn't frequently used and they have a water jug sitting on that water, make sure you look in it. So one time I found algae and I don't know what the hell was in there, but it was nasty. And I, I, I told them about it. And yeah, be careful. Sometimes, you know how we just drink and we don't really pay attention or, uh, yeah. So just, just do that. And, uh, and, and the, another thing too is to bring your own water bottle when you fly that's always good because a good amount of airports now have have water stations to fill up and and uh, fill up your water bottle so what i do is i bring an empty plastic bottle with no water go through security and then over security i fill my water up with uh or my bottle of my water up with water (laughs) i fill up my water with water i fill up my bottle with water uh, rather than paying fifty dollars for for a little one ounce thimble full of water that they sell there and they 
<laughs> but uh, yeah, so so that's that's my tip number four. And can we get to number five? I don't know. What's what's my hygiene number five? I um I don't know. I wear clothes. I, I wear a lot of the the same clothes. Oh, you know what? I would go with tip number five. I would go with taking your your shoes off and and you know wherever you're staying, like in the but that could go either way actually. If the place is dirty and you're in a place like a hostel where no one's taking off the shoes then wear like slippers so okay but that could turn into uh let's say uh you want to shower don't go barefoot wear sandals bring some sandals definitely uh don't go barefoot there's your tip number five don't go barefoot anywhere especially uh (laughs) third world countries you might get a pinworm stuck in your foot somewhere who knows you you know you're stepping on bacteria you're stepping on feces you're stepping on urine you're stepping on vomit you're stepping on you're stepping on crap man just don't go barefoot just don't do that so try not to touch the ground in the you know especially third world countries unless you're at a beach maybe a park but but even then i've seen some people with some dirty ass feet with just stuff growing out of it it's, it's pretty nasty so better to be safe than sorry cuz What's the purpose of all this? Why do you want to be hygienic? You don't want to get sick. That's the thing. If you get sick, you're not gonna, your level of enjoyment of where you're at is going to decrease significantly. And you spend all this money for a plane, for a hotel, for car rental, for whatever, for you know, excursions. You, you want to enjoy it. You don't want it to waste. So you want to feel good. And you're already being hit hard with jet lag and switching to, you know, 50 million time zones that your body's already going to be tired. So there's no need to put another burden on it and, you know, increase your risk for illness. So that being said, those are my five good tips for hygiene. I'll probably think of more and just expand that or call it something, call it something else. But those are my five uh, tips for hygiene. Wipe down, disinfect the, the airplane seat, bus seat, wherever you're at. Unless you're like in a taxi cab or something, what I do is I just, I uh, make sure those clothes are in like, I, I realize they're like dirty. So I'll wear the same dirty ones that touched all these different places and I'll just wear those and and have a, a you know, clean pair that I'll, I'll set aside as well. So that that was tip, uh, tip number one was hygiene or I mean, uh, uh, disinfecting tip number two is breathe out, breathe out of your nose as much as you can i know it sounds silly tip number three was don't touch your face your mouth with your fingers tip number four was i don't remember and t- tip number five it's it's on the podcast so you guys heard it. and tip number five was don't go barefoot there you go there you have it that's 19 minutes of hygiene. Okay, I didn't even get to parasites and uh, that sort of stuff. So you know what we're going? We're going to parasites. Yep. What are parasites? So parasites, they're uh, classified into two two really uh, major categories, helminths and protozoa. Protozoas are single-celled organisms. They're like a, like a little blob with look like an eyeball. And the helminths are are worms, so so those are the two major categories there. And uh, I just found an article. There's actually a bunch of articles online about parasites and stuff. And 
Here's an article. It says, sushi and sashimi lovers, that tingling on your tongue might be bad for you. A very special feeling in your mouth? Since when has risking tapeworm infection been irresistibly alluring? Hey. Is willingness to risk parasite infection really an admirable trait? It seems to be the thesis among sushi eaters that daring do at the dinner table will win them admiration, possibly among their lily but healthy livered friends who wouldn't touch uncooked animals with a, th- with a sterilized barge pole. Basically, this article goes in to talk about the parasites in sushi. And this one is uh, talks about an infestation of the nematode worm called anisakis. Anis Sakis, A-N-I-S-A-K-I-S, and how it really increased from 2017 to 2018, apparently uh, because more, more seafood was being shipped around the country raw rather than being transported deep frozen uh, in Japan. And yeah, so <laughs> I'm not going to go and just read it because it'd be kind of boring, but Definitely, if you're eating sushi, you're you're probably eating parasites. There's a good chance. Um, I wouldn't eat uh, sushi anymore, unless it's like cooked sushi. I don't even know if there's cooked sushi. I wouldn't eat raw fish, though. It says, sometimes when you eat raw fish or squid, you could feel a tingling feeling in your mouth. That's the worm crawling around in there. Says, says the U.S. Centers of Disease for Disease Control and Prevention. You could remove it with your fingers, or if you're dexterous, with your chopsticks. The good news is, the anisakis infestation passes within up to two weeks. But the bad news is, you may be in for quite a bit of discomfort before it does. Because once inside the human body, the larvae can invade the GI tract. Eventually, the parasite dies and produces an inflamed mass in the esophagus, stomach, or intestine, the CDC explains. So there you have it, and it's diagnosed with abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, abdominal distension, diarrhea, blood in the mucus and stool, mild fever. Sounds like a good time, right? And the next one they talk about is tapeworms, which can stretch up to 25 meters in length. Wow. Yeah, I definitely don't want that. They're also on the rise worldwide as the mania for raw flesh spreads. Every time I see a Facebook post, Instagram post of raw sushi, I'm just thinking, I'm thinking parasites, worms, just nasty, just nasty. And if it's any comfort, however, most of the offending creatures aren't anywhere near that long, you know, the 25 meters, which is huge. You might not even realize you're infected, which I think most people are and don't even realize it. Or you could develop pain, bloating, vomiting, or an allergic reaction. See little, little segments of worm in your toilet bowl. And in very rare cases, develop an intestinal blockage. If the creature hijacking your intestinal tract is massive enough. There you have it. Most people don't even know they have them. Which makes sense from, uh, from like a, a parasitic perspective. Because, I mean, you don't want the people... If you're a parasite... Let's, Get in the little parasite brain right now. Pretend you're a parasite, you know, and you're in a human. You don't want it to know you're there because if it does, it's going to try to get rid of you and make your environment, you know, less, not very good. So you're going to want to make sure that you don't disrupt your, you know, your uh, human very, very much. So there you go. That that kind of makes sense. And so the different protozoas so I, you know i tested my uh, 
I tested my stool one time. Yeah, not to get too graphic. I hope you're still not eating, but definitely tested my stool. <laughs> I had to poop in a little box. I, uh, I gave my shoebox full. <laughs> the post office didn't like it. Uh, anyways, no, there's a... <laughs> I did test one time, and I did have a, a protozoa. It was that single-celled one, so I'm glad I got rid of it, though. I, I uh, Since I travel so much, I got to take... Uh, I was told to take it at least once a year, and I was just in Mexico getting uh, more my teeth worked on, and and uh, they gave me an anti-parasite. They say every four months over there. So the parasites, so the different parasites, like I was saying before, there's protozoa and helminths. So the different types of protozoa are like, you know, the single they're single-celled. One-celled one organisms, they can be free-living or parasitic in nature. I think algae is a par- uh, protozoa too. They are able to multiply in humans, which contributes to their survival and also permits serious infections to develop from just a single organism. Transmission of protozoa that live in the human intestines to another human typically occur through a fecal-oral route. For example, contaminated food or water or person-to-person contact. Uh, protozoa that live in the blood or tissues of humans are transmitted to other humans by an anthropod vector. For example, the bite of a mosquito or sand fly. Wow, I just, I just read that and realized, man, oh man, I didn't know that. I didn't know if you got bit by a mosquito, you could get a protozoa parasite. I, I vaguely heard about that, but imagine all the places you go, you get bit by mosquitoes. Oh man. All right, so. Uh, the this also goes into like the protozoa can be classified into four different groups. We don't need to talk about it. There's like an amoeba, ciliate, sporozoa, uh, flagellate, flagellates like Giardia and Leishmania, and the ciliates are Balantidium, and the sporozoa are a plas- Plasmodium and Cryptosporidium. I don't want to get too specific here. I think most people don't don't really care too much and so all right helminths helminths are what we typically think when we think of a parasite everyone what do you think of when you think of parasite all right <laughs> i know what you're thinking not your ex-boyfriend not your ex-girlfriend i mean when you think of like an animal what do you think of when you think of a parasite you think of a worm right yeah so the helminths are a parasite they're one of the two uh, types of parasites and helminths are the worms they're large multicellular organisms generally generally visible to the naked eye in their adult stages like the protozoa they could be uh, free living or parasitic in nature in their adult form helminths cannot multiply in humans there are three main groups of helminths that are they're the flat worms thorny headed worms and the round worms or nematodes these can uh, form in the they reside in the GI tract, blood, lymphatic system, and subcutaneous tissues. And the immature larvae states can cause disease through their infection of various bodily tissues, probably causing an over, overactive immune response as the body is trying to get rid of them. Because I just uh, got rid of something. Uh, I was I was not feeling well since since August. I was off and have like like excessive gastric acid something like just wasn't feeling good just on and off and finally i, I went down to, to mexico for uh, the doctor and the dentist and 
they gave me anti-parasitic stuff and you know a couple other things to help with acid and finally I'm starting to feel a lot better it's really really weird I, I think I had some something some sort of uh, tested for H. pylori but luckily that was negative so I think it was some sort of protozoa. I didn't test my stool, but I just took everything to kill everything. I, I assume I, I probably got something as safe as I am. Uh, I just traveled to too many different countries and too many third world countries too, especially this last trip I just did where I went to India, Malaysia, Nepal, Thailand, Cambodia, and Hong Kong. I mean, India was pretty dirty. Cambodia was pretty dirty. Nepal is like like India is pretty dirty. So it, it, very easy to pick up something there. I mean, there could have been, I don't know, a fruit, an unwashed apple or something I drank. Someone didn't wash their hands. It just got in there. I swallowed it. I mean, it's, it's so easy. Just better to take a anti-parasitic every now and then. And then, oh, actually, you know what? It says there's another type, too, called ectoparasites. There's actually three different uh, types of parasites. This one goes and says, uh, this one says uh, the term ectoparasites can broadly include blood-sucking anthropods such as mosquitoes because they are dependent on a blood meal from a human host for their survival. This term is generally used more narrowly to refer to organisms such as fleas, ticks, lice, and mites that attach or burrow into the skin and remain there for long periods of time, from weeks to months. I actually just got a, a tick off my cat. It was it last month, too? It was huge, fat, huge. I cut it open, just blood come out. It was, it was so nasty. Just big old claws dug into her. Oh, God. Huh? Poor girl, my, my uh, Lucy, my cat. She's like eight years old. It's the sweetest girl. And, and so, yeah, I'm, she's... Definitely don't want a tick on me. So those are the three different ones. But there's really two main ones. I don't know. The third one's kind of like a, you know, almost almost like it doesn't count. And so when we go and talk about all the different parasites, I like to talk about just checking my notes. The... There's really a few main ones I like to, to talk about real fast. One of them is toxoplasmosis. That's uh, the pro protozoa. So I, I said this before, the protozoa, there's Chaga disease, malaria, leishmaniasis, giardiasis, amoebias, amoebiasis, babesiosis, isosporias, toxoplasmosis, cryptosporidiosis, African tryptosomosis. Samoiasis. <laughs> you could just Google it and find out all the names if you really wanted to. But I just want to talk about a couple really main ones real fast. Damn, we're already at 31 minutes. All right. I could see the time on here. So toxoplasmosis is pretty interesting. It's a disease, a disease that results from infection from the toxoplasma gondii parasite, one of the world's most common parasites. Infection usually occurs by eating undercooked contaminated meat exposure to infected cat feces or mother-to-child transmission during pregnancy. It could cause flu-like symptoms in some people, but most people who are affected, they don't develop any signs or symptoms. So that's, that's fairly interesting. And if you do develop symptoms, they're Similar to the flu, body aches, swollen lymph nodes, headache, fever, fatigue, that sort of stuff. And what's really interesting 
is toxoplasmosis and cats. So there's an article I found that says, what if I told you there's a good chance you're carrying a parasite that is transmitted through cat crap or cat poop? So 2 billion people are estimated to, in the world to carry toxoplasma gondii, so there may be more than a 25% chance it's in your body too. Like I said, everyone's got parasites. We just don't know about them. You know, they, they want to stay... Uh, they want to stay not known because <laughs> they don't want to, you know, leave the, the parasites. Think about it. Like you're a parasite. You don't want to leave. You, you want your host to keep feeding you. You don't want to, you know, let your host know you're there. And it says toxoplasma is closely related to plasmodium, the parasite that causes malaria. Oh, that's interest, interesting. Dimitri in the last podcast caught malaria. And yeah, definitely uh, don't want to do that. I think it was like a week of hell or something. But I think I'm glad I didn't catch that. Although a small part of me wants to kind of experience, but I definitely, uh, I think I'll pass. It says, but while plasmodium is quite fussy about where it lives, only able to survive in liver cells and then in red blood cells, toxoplasma doesn't much care. It muscles its way into just about any type of cell. It's also very hard to isolate it because of cell, uh, from the cells it infects. So in some parts of Europe, uh, such as France, around 50% of the population play host to the parasite. Once you're infected, you'll never get rid of your new silent buddy. <laughs> oh, great. But humans are not actually the parasite's natural host. Normally, it cycles between cats, both, dom both domestic and wild, and the animals they eat. Cats release the equivalent of toxoplasma eggs, known as osis, in their feces. These osis can wait in the ground for many years before they are picked up by an animal such as mice, birds, or even crocodiles. And then once in the new host, they breed in the body and look for a cell to make their new home. They'll, they'll wait quietly for years uh, until the host is eaten by, uh, by a cat. Once inside their final host, the parasite wakes up again and starts dividing. Not only through cat feces that humans can be, become infected, however, the most common method is through consuming undercooked or rare meat containing the parasite there we go don't eat rare meat there's your number six hygiene don't eat raw food when you're traveling make sure everything's cooked if you're eating a salad at like subway in europe you're probably going to be safe for the most part but if you're eating a salad prepared there on the street in india in a little stand with flies crawling over it and and you know, river water being washed on it, you, you probably want to avoid that. So infection can also happen in the womb or through an organ transplant from an infected person. And it says, at worst, a typical toxoplasma infection known as toxoplasmosis feels like a light flu. The parasite doesn't want to kill its intermediate host after all. Of course, it's a feeding off us. Or, or whoever the host is. It's only when the oocyte begins to falter when it can no longer get into its final host it becomes dangerous. So there you go. It could be uh, particularly dangerous for women when they're pregnant. And then this article goes on and on. But it's, it's due to its unique behavior, it's uh, widely investigated by parasitologists and biologists and psychiatrists because... Researchers have found that toxoplasma parasites may affect human behavior and personality. For example, studies have suggested a link with schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. 
Further research has also shown that infective men have a tendency to disregard rules and that they are more suspicious and jealous in women. The shift in these two factors is the opposite. They appear to be more warm-hearted, outgoing, and easygoing than women without the parasite. That's fascinating. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know that. Um, another study found that students infected with toxoplasma were 40% more likely to major in business at university and 70% more likely to emphasize management and entrepreneurship in their business studies. And then it just talks about scientists trying to, uh, to research it more can easily be cultured in the lab. So that's your toxoplasmosis. Yeah, if you got a cat, you might might have it. So, All right, and then another interesting one I thought was kind of interesting, especially because uh, Dimitri in the last uh, show talked about this. He said, malaria. Malaria, I don't know, didn't know a whole lot about malaria, but Apparently, it's a disease caused by a parasite transmitted to humans through the bites of infected mosquitoes. People who have malaria usually feel sick with a high fever and shaking chills. Each year, approximately 210 million are infected with malaria, and about 440,000 people die from the disease. Most of the people who die are young children in Africa. With, while the disease is uncommon in te temperate climate, climates, ma malaria is still common in tropical and subtropical countries. Wow, so if you're traveling to locations where malaria is common, take steps to prevent mosquito bites by wearing protective clothing, using insect repellents, and sleeping under treated mosquito nets. There you go. There's another hygiene tip. Make sure you, if you're going to uh, a mosquito uh, area to make sure you bring some anti-mosquito bug repellent. Just bring bug repellent. Bring the strongest bug repellent stuff you got and don't touch anything. Don't breathe anything. Bring your own air, oxygen tank, and you'll be good to go. So many malaria parasites are now resistant to the most common drugs used to treat the disease. Yeah, that's a scary thing. It seems like more and more of these parasites and these diseases and these infections are becoming more and more resistant to everything. They're, they're evolving. It's a natural state of a species to evolve. And the, some of the symptoms, we already said that, fever, chills, headache, nausea, vomiting, muscle pain, and fatigue. So sweating, chest, abdominal pain, cough. Uh, oh, so some people who have malaria experience cycles of malaria attacks. An attack usually starts with the shivering and chills, followed by high fever, followed by sweating, and a return to normal temperature. Huh. And they, the signs of malaria Typically, the symptoms and signs begin within a few weeks after being bitten by a mosquito. Some types of malaria uh, parasites can lie dominant, dormant in your body for up to a year. That's another fascinating thing. You might not even know you have something for weeks or months after. And this is the last one. I don't want to get too much uh, into these parasites. But Giardia. Giardia is fairly common, so I, I, I thought that was interesting. That one is an infection of your small intestine. It's called giardiasis. It's caused by a microscopic parasite called Giardia lamblia. Giardiasis, giardiasis, maybe that's a better way to say it, spreads through contact with infected people, and you could get giardiasis by eating contaminated food or drinking contaminated water. Pet dogs and cats also frequently uh, contract giardia. The condition is found all over the world, and it's more common in overdeveloped, overcrowded 
overcrowded developing countries that lack sanitary conditions and water control. And the causes are, they're found in animal and human feces. Uh, I was in India and I was walking. There's just cows crapping in the street. I saw a dog pick, take a big dump right in the middle of the road as I was walking. So there's a good place to get giardia right there. These parasites also thrive in contaminated food, water, soil, can survive outside a host for a long period of time. And you accidentally consume them, that's how you get infected. The most common way is to drink water that contain uh, giardia. And that could be even swimming pools, spas, and bodies of water like a lake. Like a, like a freaking lake, you could get it. You believe that? I can't even go swimming now. You're going to put me in a bubble. <laughs> it says uh, sources of contamination are animal feces, diapers, agricultural runoff. It's less common uh, when you contract it from food because heat kills the parasites. So that's a good thing. Cook everything. I try to minimize the, the raw foods when I travel. Unless, like I was saying, it's, you know... You're, you're pretty well sure that it's it's pretty safe. And then poor hygiene when handling food or eating produce, rinse, and contaminated water can also allow the parasite to spread. You know what? Uh, in Ethiopia, apparently they feed each other by hand. And so uh, if you're in Ethiopia, don't let them feed you by hand or, or any other place. Try to, uh, try to not do that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like, no, no, no. I'll... Uh, not eat anything by hand, <laughs> or or at least by your hand. Probably not my hand either. And it says, uh, I'll pass on reading that part. It talks about a specific sexual encounter that can pass the infection from one person to another, and then changing a diaper or picking up a parasite while working in a daycare center are also common ways to get infected. Wow, children are at higher risk for giardiasis, and... Because they are they're likely to encounter feces when wearing diapers or potty training. And then some of the symptoms of giard, giardiasis or giardiasis. Some people can carry it and not have any symptoms. That that seems to be uh, pretty common. Man, people could have like three parasites and not even know. It's just so crazy. Some of the symptoms of giardiasis are fatigue, nausea, diarrhea, loss of appetite, vomiting, bloating, abdominal cramps, weight loss, excessive gas, headaches, and abdominal pain. And the last, that was the last one, but I also printed another uh, article about Chaga's disease, but that's passed. I think we did enough uh, parasite talking. All right, now you can resume eating. Resume your meal. That gets nicer. We're going to go... Uh, Gonna go from the parasites and the hygiene. We're gonna go right into Romania. So this was kind of a cool story. I only went to Romania for four days, if if four days at all, uh, barely four days, and I was still all tired from jet lag. So I fly to Romania. I took my bike. I actually bought a mountain bike a few months before. How many months? About two months. Two months before I bought a mountain bike just to do a, a race. It was the what was it? European duathlon, off-road duathlon championship. So I know I'm, I live in the U.S., so I'm not European, but I got a special, uh, uh, they, you know, welcoming and they, they let me do the race. So I was a special invitation. So I was, I was glad I was the only person representing the U.S. You know, I get to wear the USA as an age group uh, participant. So it was, it was pretty cool. There's age group and professionals, and I did qualify for the professional, but 
I, I don't want to do it until next year, but I just did the age group this year. So it was, it was, it's cool to, to do that. It's one of my hobbies. I love to do, I love to travel. I love to do races, participate in races and, and, uh, yeah. So, so I, uh, where was I? Okay. I bought the bike a couple months before the race. I flew to Cluj-Napoca. Cluj-Napoca? That's Northwest Romania. For first, where, where the heck is Romania? You're like, where's Romania? Romania is far Eastern Europe. So it's a bit north of Greece. Romania is west. Uh, okay, what surrounds Romania? It's, it's, it's kind of hard to explain. If you look at a map, it's easier to see. So we got Bulgaria to the south, Serbia to the southwest, Hungary to the northwest. You got Ukraine, Moldova, Ukraine again, north, north, northeast, and east, and then the Black Sea to the east. So that's kind of how you know, I could explain it, but it's just easier to look at a map, and there's a bunch of different, like, provinces, almost like states, but I'm not really sure, I get, I get a little confused, and from countries, do they have states, do they have, you know, districts, or just call it districts, and so Transylvania is one of the, the main districts in Romania, there's also, like, you know, a bunch of others, like Oltenis, Banat, Krasnoa, I think Moldova, when I looked, but Bukovina and you know a couple others, but I I went to the Transylvania you know Trans Transylvania uh 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 suck your blood you know the uh, Dracula Dracula's I don't know why Dracula's from Transylvania it's it's weird because Bron Castle Castle which is uh where you know Dracula was notably uh, came from I mean the the fictional character so that's more southeast. I don't know why that Transylvania up the northwest has Dracula, but <laughs> it was funny when I was there getting my uh, race pack up in number and, and all that. They were they were like, oh, Dracula, I'm so sick of it. It's just for tourists. So they, even the, the locals are kind of sick of it. So Clues and Polka, you know, I, I got I to gotta say I liked Romania. Romania was really cool. And I'll go uh, talk about a, a couple of the cities. I don't... Try not to be too much longer. We're getting uh, 11, 20 p.m. my time. So I don't want to go to bed after midnight. So if you go to bed after midnight, here's another travel tip. Your quality of sleep decreases. So make sure you get to sleep before midnight. And that, that'll really help make you feel refreshed and better. So Cluj-Napoca, it is the fourth most populous city in Romania. It's the seat of Cluj County in the northwestern part of the country. It is roughly equidistant from Bucharest, around 201 miles, Budapest, 218 miles, and Belgrade, 200 miles. Oh, I didn't know that. Bucharest is the capital of Romania. Budapest is in Hungary, and Belgrade's in Serbia. So located in the Semescal Mike River Valley, the city is considered the unofficial capital to the historical province of Transylvania. And yeah, so as of 2011, uh, there's 324,576 inhabitants that live there. It's the second uh, most populous country, second most populous uh, city of the country after the national capital Bucharest down southeast, marking a slight increase from the figure recorded in 20, uh, 2002. So that's uh, uh, there's a there's a big 
student and non-resident population, an average of over 20,000 people each year, um, visit during, uh, okay, the city, and then city spreads out to St. Michael's Church in the Uniri Square, built in the 14th century and named after the Archangel Michael, the patron, patron saint of Cluj and Polka. And so that's pretty cool. And that's that for that. Okay, and then I got to Cluj Napoca and stayed in a hotel not far from the old city. So I got there and I had to uh, set up my bike. I had to put my bike together. It was a lefty fork, so it was different than what I'm um, used to. It was a little trickier, so I made sure to do it correctly. And I had to Google and watch videos on how to put the wheel together. It's it was a little tricky, and I definitely won't buy that bike ever again actually uh just got that um taken care of with cannondale actually i'll tell you about it a little later so i got the bike set up and i went to the old town checked it out it's really cool went to the square i was really uh, impressed with romania in general just because it's so different it's so cool it's kind of mysterious it's, it's it's i don't know i liked it it's different it's, I mean, it's similar to European cities. I mean, they're all kind of similar with a slight twist, but this one was was cool. I mean, the buildings look cool. They're, I don't know. I, I just I, I like it. You got you got to check it out. It's it's not a lot of people go to Romania too, so that's that's kind of nice. And then there's there's a bunch of different things you could do. Uh, they say the best way to do the sightseeing is on foot because most of the main landmarks are located close to the city center. And the city layout is is pretty huge, east to west access. So you could start from, you know, uh, the Central University and then head, you know, to the square. You uh, you can see the massive Orthodox Cathedral. You can see the statue, a famous statue, Avram. I think it's Lansu or Iansu. I'm not sure, but yeah, I, I actually saw that. Yeah, and the building opposite the National Theater and the Opera House. Those were really cool. I took a bunch of pictures there. And there's a lively boulevard filled with nice, nice places to eat. You could have a drink, take in the local life. There's a special coffee trend going on there. You could find uh, Norco, Nor, Nar Coffee Roasters, Olivo Roots, and all sorts of stuff. Coffees, bites, wine. You could enjoy a quiche with water in the house. And then you could uh, I just... I just reading uh, continue your walk until you reach okay the square and the saint michael gothic church it's a gothic church it's so cool i i don't know i kind of like them it's it's a cool architecture one of cluj's most populous tourist most popular tourist attractions and major city landmarks and so that was that was cool um yeah i didn't really do much because i only had a day there actually i had a couple of days there but i only had one real day you know a few hours to to go sightseeing that was done a lot on my bike riding the mountain bike around getting used to it i stayed in a hotel i can't remember if it was like the holiday inn but it was one of those fairly common ones so that was neat there's one thing that i do want i definitely want to go back to romania and there's one thing i do want to see there's some cool mysterious stuff there like there's a there's a, there's actually a Turda salt mine I'd like to do. There's Alba Lua Citadel, the Corvin Castle. But one thing that sounds really cool is there's this place called um, a haunted forest near Cluj-Napoca. It's called the Hoya Basiu. 
I know I'm not pronouncing it right, but you just Google haunted forest near Cluj Napoca or just Cluj. And that's where a UFO was apparently sighted 50 years ago with strange activity ever since. So I want I should have done a tour. I want to do that next time. And you could do like day trips to a bunch of different places, fortified churches, UNESCO World Heritage sites. You'll learn about the Transylvania history. You, it's it's just cool. There's tons of hiking stuff there. There's there's parks, the Western Carpathian Mountain Range. There's tons of caves, trails, natural wonders. I mean, Romania is a hidden gem. Definitely a hidden gem and and really uh, high on my list of countries I really enjoyed. And then, yeah, that, that's it for that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to head from Cluj. I rented a car because I have my bike. It's a pain in the butt to carry a bike when you're traveling. Oh, man, I got to uh, roll around a big bike case everywhere I go. Sometimes I got to lay it flat, open it to show security. It's just, uh, it's a pain in the butt, so... Um, I got a rental car, a uh, good size rental car, like uh, I don't know, I forget what we, what you would call it. not a truck in between a truck and a regular car, you know, like like a, a good size to fit, so the bike fits in the back with the the seats down. So from Cluj, spent the night there. Went to Targumures. Targumures is where the packet pickup was and where I. I go and check in for the race. The packet pickup is where you go. You get your race number. You get like a shirt. You get the information, maybe a couple of goodies, like like a treat or a snack or something that they have for you know in the bag. So I went and picked that up there. I was really happy I made it. And there was a yeah, I was just happy I made it. Oh, I forgot to mention too, uh, my friend Larry, he flew into Targumuras. Did he flew in? Yeah, he flew in. No, he flew in the Cluj. I picked him up because he was in Serbia, and we drove together, which was really cool. It wasn't a long drive, maybe an hour or two, and that was so fun to drive from Cluj to Targumaras because there, there's all these sunflower places, and we just took pictures, and it was really beautiful and cool, and it was it was a pretty easy drive. I mean. I'm I'm used to driving a lot of countries, so I I, def, I definitely drove. But it was fun to talk to him and hear his stories. And uh, he was just in Serbia and Croatia. He's on country 99. Hopefully, I'll get him on maybe the next one. Pretty soon, though. Pretty soon. He's on 99 countries. That's pretty amazing. I'm on 48. Uh, hopefully, 100 within a few years. I hope. But. I don't know. I don't want to rush him either. So I picked up Larry. We're headed off in our rental car with a bike in the back and take a couple pictures at the street signs and a couple cool churches, buildings. And then, uh, interesting, we see uh, we see gypsies too every now and then. Gypsies are really interesting. They wear this, uh, you, you you could just tell. They just, they dress differently, really cool uh, outfits and it's it's really really interesting because you hear of gypsies but you never you never really know you know seen most people haven't really seen them the real gypsies in in real life and i have a little bit of information about gypsies cuz i thought they were really cool and let's see they're called the romani people and there is about 10,385 of them 
Oh, actually, no, that's the population of Sovada. Sorry. So I don't know how many gypsies, but they're called the Romani people, and 89% of them are Hungarian. No, I'm reading Sovada. So Romani people, they're 2% of the population of this town called Sovada, where exactly my race was. And they're the Romani people. They're the gypsies. Their origin, check this out. What do you think the origin of a gypsy is? North India, northwestern India, Rajasthan and Punjab region. Isn't that cool? And the root of the Romani language is India. So the gypsies can be a derogatory term, but uh, so, so, you know, just be wary of that. So that that's pretty fascinating that the root of the language of the Romani language is India and they're, they're traced back to India from their DNA. And it says the first Romani people reached modern-day uh, Romania back in 1241. And right at the same time as the Mongolian Empire was stretching towards there. And many of the Roman uh, Romani people were taken as slaves and prisoners. About 82% of them or are Orthodox Christians, which is fascinating. As a little side note, so uh, the first Romani people... Got to modern day Romania about 1241. So Genghis Khan, Genghis Khan, uh, the Mongolian, you know, leader, founder, he reigned from 1206 to 1227. And then there's seven after him. And you get to Kublai Khan to 1260 to 1294. So that gives you like a little perspective. Ogadai was the, the reigning Khan from 1229 to 1241. And Khan actually is a variant of Khagan which is a sovereign emperor, the highest noble title. So I thought that was really cool. We have to get into Genghis Khan, Kublai Khan another time. That's, man, a lot of people have done podcasts on those, and those are fascinating. I, I'm especially, you know, mesmerized by Kublai Khan and Marco Polo, you know, that lived in Venice. I actually visited where he lived, his house, and I, that was one of the highlights of my life, <laughs> definitely. So, yeah, gypsies are really cool. I, I should say Romani people. I don't want to be, uh, you know, say anything derogatory so they're nomadic by necessity definitely uh romani people because they face discrimination because of their dark skin and they were once enslaved by europeans so what's messed up is in 1554 the Euro english parliament passed a law that made being a gypsy a felony punishable by death and that messed up the Roma, also called the Romani or Roma, have been portrayed as a cunning, mysterious outsider who tell fortunes and steal before moving to the next town. In fact, the, ter the term gypped is probably an abbreviation of gypsy, meaning a sly, unscrupulous person, a person, according to NPR. So they were nomad nomadic by necessity. As a matter of survival, the Romani were continuously on the move, which makes sense. I mean, if you're persecuted and you'd want to keep moving. So they had a reputation for nomadic lifestyle and high insular culture. Because of their outsider status and migratory nature, few attended school and literacy, literacy was not widespread. Much uh, of what is known about the culture comes through stories told by singers and oral histories. In addition to Jews, homosexuals, and other groups, the Romani were targeted by the Nazi regime in World War II. The German world uh, word for gypsy, Zigwiner, Zigwiner, was derived from a Greek word, root 
a Greek root word that meant untouchable, and accordingly, the group was deemed racially inferior. Yeah, it's messed up. So uh, the Romani were rounded up and sent to camps as well and uh, used as labor killed. And uh, talked about Yosef Mengele was also given permission to experiment with on twins and dwarfs from the Romani culture or community. And according to the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum, Nazis killed uh, tens of thousands of Romani in the German-occupied territories of the Soviet Union and Serbia. And then thousands more were killed in the different concentration camps. So it's really sad for them that, you know, they were persecuted just like Jews. I never understood why certain groups of people were persecuted just for being different. I, it still blows my mind to this day. Uh, the Romana, the Roma culture, or the Romani culture, uh, it's, it's pretty interesting too. Uh, the ethnic culture has been influenced, influenced by interaction with the culture of the surrounding population. Nevertheless, there are some unique and special aspects to Romani culture. Uh, the Roma do not follow a single faith. They adopt the predominant religion of the country where they are living, according to open society, and describe themselves as many stars scattered in the sight of God. Yeah, I like that. Many stars scattered in the sight of God. Some Roma groups are Catholic, Muslim, Pentecostal, Protestant, Anglican, or Baptist. And they live by a complex set of rules that govern things such as cleanliness, purity, respect, honor, and justice. According to uh, Honor and Justice, these rules are referred to as what is Romano. Romano means to behave with dignity and respect as a Roma person, according to Open Society. Roman Ipe is what the Roma refer to as their world worldview. Yeah, it's fascinating. And they do speak one religion call, or one language called Romanes, Romanes. And it has roots in Sanskritic languages and is related to Hindi, Punjabi, Urdu, and Bengali. And some Romani words were borrowed by English speakers. So they, they also have a hierarchy, anywhere from 10 to several hundred extended families uh, from bands. And they travel together in caravans. So that's really cool. I got to see him walking down the street. It would be, you know, fascinating to... Uh, to do a podcast with them and oh this is really nice the the oh are interesting the roma love opulence they emphasize display of wealth and prosperity according to the romani project and women tend to wear gold jewelry and headdresses decorated with coins oh yeah yeah and the homes will often have displays of religious icons fresh flowers gold and silver ornaments and these displays are considered honorable and a token of good fortune. So if you're listening right now, you're going to have great fortune just for listening to this podcast. There you go. <laughs> From me and the Romani people, we wish you the best and good fortune. And they said sharing one's success is also considered honorable and hosts will make a display of hospitality by offering food and gifts. Generosity is seen as an investment in the network of social relations that a family may need to rely on in troubled times. It was fascinating because that makes sense with their uh, nomadic by necessity uh, way of life. So that's that's quite interesting. And then that was... the the Romani people and where were we okay me and Larry were driving in the car going to Targumara's 
Now, tar let's get to Targumaras, right? We have to get there and then get to the race. And then that will be it for the podcast. Let's see if we could do that within 10 more minutes. So Targumaras, it's a pretty cool, quaint little city. I rode my bike through it, actually drove through it to the hotel. Nice hotel. I can't remember the exact name. So many hotels, I just forget them. But it's really a nice, cool city with cool architecture. Once again, I did a nice... Uh, bike ride through there about an hour bike ride short little uh, run as well and I was really impressed with the place I actually liked it probably a little better than Cluj Napoca actually it was uh yeah it was really nice and uh, the name uh, literally for a market on the Morris River is known as the City of Roses Targu Mures it's um, enjoys the best of both Romanian and Hungarian cultures Numerous vestiges attest the presence of Neolithic cultures and those of the Bronze and Middle Ages. A lot of archaeological diggings. The town was first documented back in 1322. And it excels even beginning, in, it says beginning with the 16th century, it excelled that city in Targumaras as an important cultural and education center. So that was cool. During middle medieval times, guild. Could you imagine living in medieval times? Oh God, no, man. We're so lucky today. We just throw crap and you know uh, trash and waste out in the middle of the street. And gosh, get plague. Bubonic plague was was that it? Yeah. God. All sorts of that. That would be a good show too. Um, talking about that. So. Uh, some of these old cities actually look like they were uh, in medi medieval times, even even parts of Romania. So it's fascinating. So they played uh, during medieval times. Guilds made up of groups of craftsmen played an important role in the evolution of the town. And then talks about that. Uh, heavy expansion of the railway came in the second half of the 19th century. And there's a lot of different places to see, a lot of cool things to see there in, in, in a small area. You, you could walk around f for a fair, you know, a fair amount. I, I saw it on bike. There's the Apollo Palace. There's this old prefecture. There's Palfi House. There's Prefecture Building, St. Michael Wooden Orthodox Church. There's all, all, all sorts of cool stuff to see. If you want to check it out, you just Google best places to see or historic places to see in Targumores. It's cool. It's not too far from Cluj. You can rent a car and drive really easy. It's a beautiful drive. One of my favorite parts of the trip, actually. And then from there, spent the night in hotel, picked up the race packet. It was actually at a castle. I can't remember the name of the castle, but that was really cool. I got to go into the castle and then uh got ready for the race in the morning the race was in sovada which was i want to say about 30 40 minute drive uh from tagumaras at a lake called ursu lake or bear lake which is pretty cool apparently there's a lot of bears there and Sovada is a small little town of like 10,000 people. And what's, inter what's interesting is 89.4% of the population of Sovada are Hungarian. Only 8.5% are Romanian. And then 2% are the, the Romani, the Roma people. And so drove there, actually got lost a little bit. So I was really nervous. I was like, oh man, maybe I'm not going to get the race because uh, the GPS isn't 100% accurate, you know, when you're traveling you're driving and 
the GPS is like, where the hell are you? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. You're supposed to tell me. And then uh, I just asked a couple people and they, and they showed me. And luckily I, I made it. It's kind of hidden, but it, it's a hugely beautiful place. Like a hidden gem. Highly recommend to get there. And I actually feel incredibly grateful to be able to, to participate in the race and see that place. That's one of the cool uh things about racing in all these different countries is you get to see really cool places that you never would have you know otherwise so i get to the race and i don't have much time actually maybe i have 30 minutes but i gotta walk to the place or ride my bike to the place set my bike up real fast you know just put uh, a water bottle in you know get my gear ready to go bike helmet change of shoes and then, um, funny enough, I forgot to put on my uh, my timing chip on my ankle, so it didn't really matter. You'll see why. And then I uh, get to the race and got to take my picture, you know, with with the the guy because uh, the photographer is taking my picture, you know, because I was the only American there, and I was you know just having fun talking to people, and it was pretty relaxed. Not a big race, maybe a f- couple hundred people or so, because it was an off road duathlon. Uh, European championship which means you run then you bike and then you run but it's like a, a cross-country course so let's turn off the light to, to get ready for bed I'm getting ready for bed here pretty soon and so yeah the cross-country it's like a cross-country bike and run course so you run through the hills and you bike through the hills it's intense mountain biking at that kind of level is crazy. It's dangerous. It's crazy. It's it's too much for me. I, I, I it's not for me. I'll stick to the time trial individual and then the draft legal stuff. So other than that, I'm gonna pass on the the highly competitive mountain bike. So I get to the race, you know, and I have all my gear set up. You have your transition area where all the bikes are after you know you, you run in after you the run. And you switch out to the bike. So I start the run, and they go three, two, one, go, and then we're off. Boom, and we go up a little hill, and then it flattens out a little bit. And you know I'm doing pretty good. I'm like in the middle of the pack. I'm I'm so tired and jet lag. I was like two days after I arrived. I'm I'm at this race. So. I'm like, all right, I'm not going to be 100%, but maybe if I'm 95%, it'd be kind of cool. You know, it's just just to be here is an honor. And, you know, I'm extremely grateful just to, to be there and participate and, and have fun. And, uh, yeah, so we start, we're going, we're going. And I'm wearing these, I'm not wearing cross-country shoes. I'm wearing regular uh, road racing running shoes called the Vaporfly, and they're thick. Uh, they have a thick bouncy kind of nest to them and so then we start climbing the hill and some place is so steep that I had to walk a little bit at the very top and I'm jogging you know walking a little bit and then downhill and then oh no my my shoes are not well made for this at all my my ankles are kind of flimsy I'm like oh I slip a little bit I'm like oh I barely make it so it's two loops and I Luckily, I, I made, made the run. I finished, which is really thankful just to even finish that. And I get on the bike and I transition. And I haven't been mountain biking, but a couple months. I've been cycling on and off for years. I don't know, 12 years or so. But mountain biking is a different, whole different game. 
that's that that thing's intense, man. We're going thirty miles downhill on on a, a, a dirt road. It's 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 intense. I, it's not. <laughs> it's dangerous too, and I unfortunately, uh, I think I I may have inflated my tires a tad much. Not over the limit, but but a little more than recommended psi wise and so i mean it wasn't it just bounced caused me to bounce more and what happened was i was going down you know uh the one of the really technical hard sections just bouncing and bouncing this boom then the the uh, seat post snapped on me and that was that I was I was kind of pissed off and annoyed, frustrated, embarrassed, really embarrassed, really, and uh, I had to slowly ride the bike standing up for a couple miles to get to, because it was three loops of like four miles. What was it? Three or four loops of? I think it was three loops. Three loops of, of four miles, something like that. And so I had to ride the bike. I was on my second loop, and so. The first loop was it was okay. It was I was scared. I, I don't I, I get a little nervous going downhill, getting close to 40, 35 miles an hour on a on a bike, but I I was I was more scared, more afraid going downhill on this mountain bike on gravel roads, dirt roads. Uh, it's like you don't know. I've never ridden this course before and you don't know what's ahead. You don't know how fast you could go. It's better to to like investigate, scope it out, do it once or twice, you know, to make sure you know where all the turns are, all the all the steep parts are, you know, course reconnaissance, basically what you call it. And so, yeah, I was on the second loop, and then the bike seat snapped, and then I had to, you know, walk it uphill a good ways, and all these people passed me. I was so embarrassed. And then, uh, yeah, I just, you know, limped my way back to the transition area, and you know, they gave me all my stuff and I left and that was it. That was that race. I was, I was pretty upset. I mean, you, you got to think you, you trained pretty, I trained pretty hard for it and you spent all that money for airline tickets and race entry fees just to, just to do the race. And, uh, and then that happens, but you know, everything happens for a reason and it's always positive in, in everything. It's like for every closed door, three more open. So I like to, to focus on the positive aspect of it, which is, which is uh, just glad to be there and experience everything and hang out with my friend Larry and you know it was a good good time it was a good time the only bad time was like an hour of the entire trip just that race part that was it everything else like ninety nine percent of it was was beautiful it was great and definitely uh, definitely wouldn't take it back for anything I definitely would have done things differently though I would have put less air in the tire I would have worn different shoes I would have you know done that. And did more course recon, so that the bike seat post shouldn't have snapped, even with with tire pressure being high but not over the limit. Uh, it was the bike's a medium, so I wasn't over the line when I put the seat post in. I didn't over tighten it or anything. I tried to explain this to the place where I got it from, the Trek Superstore in I think I think it's Carlsbad or San Diego down there, but. This guy was the most obnoxious guy, bike mechanic, I've ever had the displeasure to, to deal with. His name's Mike. And on the phone, he's already explaining to me. He hasn't seen the bike, hasn't seen nothing. He's explaining to me it's already my fault. 
you know, I did, I over tightened it and like, wait a minute, I've never over tightened a bike seat before, you know, or, or a bike seat post. And it's just, it was, you know, really a displeasure and frustrating to work with. So needless to say, um, yeah, that got taken care of finally. I'll get to that after. So after the story real quick. So we finish the race, we drive back and then, you know, we, we start, uh, you know what we do? I start videotaping me and Larry talking and I'm getting this idea of the podcast. That's that's kind of where I started to it started to come to fruition. So that's that's kind of a kind of a cool thing. So I start to visualize the podcast and how cool it'd be to talk about all this different stuff. I'm like, "Larry, what's your view on the flat earth?" and he tells me, you know, and I'm like, try to get some interesting stories out of them and I actually prefer interviewing people rather than monologues it's just it's just funner and and less work <laughs> I think I'm going on an hour over an hour now so so but still I, I still prefer that it's, it's more interesting for me because I get to learn more too I guess maybe it could be interesting for you just for me to talk because you still get to learn something you know new or something different for me like stories and stuff but we came back and I was recording, you know, as we were driving back and and we stopped, took more pictures with the beautiful sunflower, rows and rows of sunflowers. It's amazing. Felt like I was in like that gladiator movie when he's walking through the fields, you know. And then went back. I dropped him off at the airport and said my goodbye. And he went to travel for a couple more months to all these different cool countries, took a couple pictures. Then, uh, I headed off to Madrid for a half a day to spend half a day in Madrid. Wasn't a big fan of it, of that half day in Madrid. I was I was really tired because I couldn't sleep but a couple hours. My jet lag's kicking, kicking my butt. It was super hot in Madrid. Everyone's smoking. Like It's like they walk right into you. They almost walk right into you. So it's just kind of annoyed with people, especially the cigarette smoke and then the heat and all that. But... Uh, to make a long story short, or actually, the story's about done. The bike, I finally, two and a half months later, talking to six different people, I finally got the bike situation take, taken care of. I said, look, I fell off the bike when the seat post broke. I got a couple scratches, bruises. I didn't mention that earlier, but I still have a scar on my left hip. Luckily... I didn't break any bones. There was guys in crutches on the airplane going back to Spain because there's a lot of Spaniards that were at the race. I'm lucky I did not break nothing. So I told this to them. I sent them pictures and and finally Cannondale gave me a refund. They were like, all right, we'll give you a refund or a different bike. That was all I asked for. I had to ask the dealer I got the bike from, the Trek Superstar with that jackass Mike who was a complete jackass and uh, never, never, ever buy bikes from Trek Superstore in San Diego. Never. They'll, they'll help you. They help you buy the bike, but once you have any problems, they won't help you at all. They're like, all right, you're on your own. It's your fault. All right, we want nothing to do with it. I was like getting re- ready. I was like, I'm going to sue them. This is, this is BS. No, there's no way. Like I was, I was not going to take no for an answer. And so finally, after six people, two and a half months later, I contacted and talked to uh cannondale the bike manufacturer who finally helped me out really nice guy i'm glad everything finally worked out 
and so Jeff was was really great to work with. And finally, I got a refund for the bike, and so that was that was nice because those bikes aren't cheap, man. Good bikes like that. So that was that was good. I I didn't want anything else. I didn't want like you know reimbursed for an airline ticket or anything. I didn't care. Just just the bike, you know. I was sick of the bike. I hated the bike, especially because he crashed on it. I have, you know, bad feelings over that stupid bike now. I didn't even like the The lefty fork is, is, I don't like it, lefty fork. Next time I'll just get like a regular bike. A lefty fork, what it means is the front, you know how there's two, I don't know how they, in the fork, there's two places to put your wheel in. So with the lefty fork, there's only one place to, to click in the wheel. And so, yeah, it's, it's kind of weird. It's kind of new. The last few years, those came about, but that's a lefty fork. And that's pretty much it. And, oh, one thing I really learned, though, was after talking to six guys and after two and a half months going back and forth trying to get the bike situation taken care of, was persistence overcomes all obstacles. And that's what I'm going to end with. Persistence overcomes all obstacles. So that's your motivational, inspirational quote of the day right there. And thank you for listening. It was it was a long podcast, probably one of the longest ones. Hopefully I didn't mumble uh, too much and you could understand me. I'm getting tired now. It's almost midnight. All right, I got to get to bed. And uh, yeah, let's get some outro music. Out, is, that, is that the term? Outro music? It's, this one's called Happy Sunday. All right, and thank you for listening to the Super Travel Experience Podcast. It was an honor to share stories, to share uh, all the advice, information, everything I can with you guys. Thank you for listening, and I wish you all the best. Have a marvelous journey on your life, and everywhere you go, best wishes, best of luck. Take care. You're the best.